Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Our guest, I dynamic author, performer, teacher, and change agent, Zanai Mestrovich, also known as Grandma Boom, is feisty, alive, and a shaker at 65. Janai lifts life to a whole other level. Her book, Grandma Boom Chronicles, More Alive at 65, is a journey with the spirit of human potential in her captivating self-help memoir, where she uses keys of wisdom that changed her destiny. Unblocking stuck energy with healing agents of imagination, play, and fun. The cover of her book is endorsed by two Hollywood legends, Doris Day and Danny Lockwood. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show. I'm Taz. And I'm Paula. Well, Doris Day, Hollywood legend and animal welfare activist. Danny Lockwood, music video producer for musicians and celebrities, including Katy Perry, Jennifer Lopez, and Bruce Springsteen. Janai Metrovich is a TV producer, host, creator, writer, and an international spokeswoman with a master's degree in family and child development that interweaves her passion for human potential, which has been a 40-year adventure. Janai actively encourages young and old alike to engage with their joy-filled inner child. I like that to take that quantum leap and merge with their consciousness no matter what stage of life or age they are in. Mm-hmm. Taz, it's so inspiring to have an individual work with, with this magic that she has for all ages. <laughs> yeah, it's true, Paula. Some of Janai's awards and honors include Silver Medal, New York International Film and Television Festival, Most Innovative Child's Program in Oregon, Invited and appointed to the Rosalind Carter Institute National Caregiving Project Editorial Board. Invited to represent prevention and rural areas at the Surgeon General's Conference on Children's Mental Health. And there's more. Janai Mestrovich, we are so elated to have you with us today. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Taz and Paula. I'm really excited to be here. In fact, I dressed for the occasion. I love dress-ups, costumes. So I wore my (laughs) Queen of Hearts costume that's just gorgeous and shiny because it helps me to feel a wonderful feeling radiating from my heart because I'm happy in costumes. (laughs) (laughs) I I imagine you with a magic wand. (laughs) Oh, you know what? I can't believe that you said that because I thought I better remember to bring my magic wand. It sings. Now, I'm going to see if this will come across I uh, to you over the phone. I tap this this wand, and I wave it over children when I'm in parades, and at other times it's, there's all kinds of things that I do for children, and I have them make a wish. Now, let's see if you can hear it. Oh, yes. my goodness. Yes. Could you hear it? Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, well, of course, make a wish. Listeners, make a wish. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's okay. so lovely. Always playful. Oh, my God. Tell us how you got the name of Grandma Boom. I love the way I got that name because it came from my grandson. 
When he was a baby, I would always lift him up to my gong or to my crystal bowl or chimes and drums. We always drum together. And so he learned to say, we would call it boom. When we would make noise, we would call it boom. Well, he couldn't do the gr for grandma in the beginning, and so he used to call me boom. Then when he could get grandma under his belt, it was grandma boom. And now I have a uh, he has a younger sister who's my granddaughter, and she has shortened it of course she has to do it her own way and she calls me buoy so i'm grandma boom and buoy <laughs> i love it <laughs> well, i bet you're the best grandmother ever <laughs> well well thank you. you know everybody does their best i just i had a goal that i wanted to be outrageously fun and so what I do is go into the world of the children. When my grandson was learning to crawl, I was under the table. I was behind the chairs, and we were playing peekaboo, and we were chasing each other, and there was a bonding that was phenomenal. Now, my knees got to kind of hurting on that tile floor, so when my granddaughter came along and I got to the crawl stage, I got knee pads. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Oh, I remember I remember my grandmother and and uh dancing with her and uh just having a great time with her. So it's a special thing. Oh it my is goodness. special. It stays in your heart, doesn't it? It's yeah, just uh it's it's a it's a fuel of a very special kind. I think grandparents are um really wonderful creatures and I think that our job is really an honor to be trusted with our grandchildren and to give them things that will help them to understand that, you know, aging is something that can be really great because of the things that we do with them and, and what they see. So I, And I think it's very stimulating for our own minds and hearts, too, to keep in touch with uh, different ages because that keeps that part of us alive, the inner child or the teenager or the young adult. So I'm, I'm just I'm totally invested in grandparenting. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> but they're lucky, let me tell you. Your book, Grandma Boom Chronicles, More Alive at 65, um, how is it that – tell us about this book. What is the, Why is the emphasis on More Alive at 65 – well, partially because it's a, a self-help memoir, and I am more alive at 65. You know, when I was little, the stereotypical image of an older person was someone who, more or less, the ones that I saw sat around, they watched TV, um, you know, they maybe visited with others, but they weren't on the floor playing, and they weren't doing some of the things that, that I like to do. I mean, I, I run in parades, and I, I just won a, a third place for my costume in the Monster Dash, where everybody was dressed up in Ashland and ran a, a mile for uh, a, a benefit for education. I never saw people that were this age doing that when I was a child. And at that time I thought, I don't want to be a boring old person. And so I decided along the way that I would be exciting and really make my aging process something that was very optimistic and an adventure. So the Grandma Boom Chronicles shows how I took a lot of things um, that were not easy in my childhood and I transformed them and created ways that I could use that instead of being stuck in the past or just going along with my genetics, I could go beyond genetics and I could create something for myself. And so it's a, it's a trail, a journey the book is through lots of experiences, some extraordinary, um, some difficult, some fun and funny, and just the trail of how I formed these new ideas and why I don't do some of the things that were done then. Well, wow. you state your fears were many in childhood. Can you give an example of transforming a fear from childhood to adult life? Oh, I was hoping you would ask that. Yes, ma'am, I can. Um, <laughs> let's take um, the example when I was – and I grew up in Kansas. I'm in Ashland, Oregon now, but I grew up in Kansas. And um, I was in the – we all had basements because of tornadoes. So I was in the basement. I ran in the basement one summer evening to get a toy or something and uh, didn't turn the light on because I was just going to run in and run out. And my dad was outside. He was uh, grilling or something, uh, doing some barbecue or working around on something in the driveway. 
So I ran in, and in the shadows, when I turned around from getting my toy, in the shadows, I could see this silhouette of something coming up from the floor and then jerking or jumping at me. And I just froze, and I mean literally I froze in my fear. I was locked up. I realized it was a snake. I couldn't yell for my dad. I couldn't run away. I was just, like, I was standing up um, very stiff, and when the snake would jump at me, then I would, like, like that really quick, like, kind of jump back. But I couldn't move my limbs. I couldn't get away from there. And so finally, after several of these little things with the snake coming at me and getting closer, I was able to finally scream, Dad! And he came running in and took care of the um, of the snake, which happened to be a copperhead, which they're, oh. they can be deadly in terms of how poisonous they are. Yeah. So that gives you one example of, I had a lot of fears as a child, um, you know, afraid that I was going to go to hell, afraid that nobody would like me, afraid I was going to do something wrong. I mean, the fear list goes on and on and on. So my fears with all those things that were built up in my body, actually were part of what was holding me there and being frozen. So along the way, working with fears throughout the decades, I love that word decades. It sounds so substantial. Um, (laughs) It's just fun to say it. Um, So what happened then in my 50s was that um, I was walking up. I used to live in the forest for many, many years, and I was walking up to the top of a mountain because there was an iris field that in May they always, um, the irises would bloom. There were thousands of them, and at dusk it would look really magical because of the white and the lavender. They would glow. And so I was wanting to go up to see if they were going to be in season and when they'd be ready. And as I walked up and got to this one crest, when I came over it, there was a wildcat, which was a, a large bobcat, um, maybe you know, 15 yards or so in front of me. And I stopped, and just I stood still in my tracks. I think I, you know, I wasn't really breathing at that point because what went through me was this lightning kind of streak of fear that came. It went through my feet and all the way up my body, and and this happened all very fast. And I knew at that point, what is my choice? My choice would be I could turn around very quietly and go down the mountain or I could stay. And I knew I wanted to stay. If I stayed, I could not have one ounce of fear because I would be smelled. They they they, they smell the scent of fear. And I was downwind, so I was fortunate that I had like a, a couple seconds or whatever, you know, to get rid of this fear. And I, my intention was release the fear. I there's some reason this is happening. So, release the fear, slowly bent down and pick up a a large stick because they say with a wild animal if you think that you will be attacked, you can wave a stick way above your head very slowly and it makes you look like you're much larger than they are. So, I had my safety stick and as the bobcat was going forward, it was sniffing And so I knew he was hunting. So I would go forward. When he took a step, I took a step. So we did this for a little while, and he went over to the right into a grassy little meadow area where um, some of the grass was uh, just not very high. And over on the edge, there was some higher grass. He went over there. And so I was on the edge of the meadow and still about 15 yards away. And all of a sudden, he jumps up and goes, boom, bounces down onto the ground, picks up something with his mouth, turns around and locks eyes with me with a mouse in his mouth. I'm standing there just staring. I don't want to move. I didn't move my stick. So we stood there looking at each other directly, and I mean it was like soul to soul through through the eyes with this contact, and I remained in no fear. So pretty soon, he starts lowering his rear end into this tall grass. When I say lowering it really slow, I mean like such slow motion that if you didn't, the human eye wouldn't detect it if you didn't have something like behind that to compare that there was movement to. 
And so very, very slowly, he went down with his rear end into the grass, then pulled his midsection, and then kept his head just where he could see above through, through that tall grass with the mouse in his mouth and continually locking eyes with me. So I'm standing there. Instinct told me, do exactly what he did. So even though I didn't have a tail or anything, I, I lowered my rear end very, very slowly at the same pace he had done, and I got down on the ground. My knees, after a while, I, it must have been several minutes, we are locking eyes and we're just staying put like this. And I'm just feeling very peaceful and very oh, very grateful. And so my knees started to tell me I couldn't do that much longer, so I went back up to standing position exactly how I had gone down, extremely slowly. I mean, it was painful. It was so slow. When I finished and I was standing up, the wildcat, exactly what I had just done. So the first round, I copied him. Second round, he copied me. Wow. So we're both standing there together, and I said to him, I, I'm a talker, so in case you can't tell, and so <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, I, my name is Janai, and my work is for the children of the world and for your children, too. I am so very grateful to be here with you. Thank you for this gift. I would like to ask for uh, the, the rite of passage to go to the iris field. When I said the word field, he turned and slowly walked up the mountain in the other way. Wow. This all took about, I'm going to guess, around 12 to 15 minutes we locked eyes. It was amazing. Oh, wow. I was high. I was so high, naturally high. I was creating endorphins. I wasn't on any drugs <laughs> or alcohol or anything because I don't do that. But I was just so elated. I think it was a state of ecstasy because I connected with the wild in him, and we really touched each other. So that's how I transformed fear. Look at the difference. I was frozen in fear with the snake. I released the fear, and look what happened for me. And that happens with many things in life. Wow. So, Such an experience. So do you share this story with children very often? Um, you know, not ones that are too young because they, they won't understand. You have to keep it with the real little ones. I work with two, three, four-year-olds. You know, you have to keep it really simple, and you don't want them to do something that's dangerous. Um, but with older ones, like teenagers, love this story. Love it. Because it takes them out of their realm of all the things that they're thinking about that's, you know, just teenage stuff. And, and it gives them an idea of things that are possible. I really love stimulating all ages in terms of human potential and the exciting opportunities that we have if we tap our inner worlds. And I think that's one of the things that's going on today is that we're not tapping our inner worlds enough and we're looking to the external world to satisfy us. It's materialism. It's what somebody else says. It's blah, blah, blah. And we're so hooked up into the electronics and it's, that's outside us. And we're not using those things to tune back into our inner resources so that we can generate, and here's a key, I think, so that we can generate happiness, we can generate our own inner peace, not dependent on external stimulus. Well, I mean, plus everything goes so fast. I mean, uh, the children get bored unless, some, unless whatever they're watching is like on television or something that's really fast, fast movement, fast pace. And it's, it's nice to get them back to the inner world in the slower pace. Yes, I agree. And, you know, one of the things that I'm an expert at, I developed, uh, I started developing 40 years ago. It's called 3D learning. So if I'm going to, to help a child to learn how to get the knot, knots of tension out of the stomach, I will show them a knot and tie it up, and then we'll learn how to take slow, deep breaths. And as we do, we untie those knots, and then we have a, a sock in the other hand and we feel the soft sock, so we learn how to use things in the environment to go back into our inner world and learn how to shift gears, learn how to, another example would be, um, if I'm going to teach a child what a lie is. You know, people usually just say, um, now don't lie, it's not nice to lie, it's not, you know, a good thing, it's a, it's a bad thing to do. They then learn it for the other person, and it's like a rule they memorize. And so what I do is I create a 3D lie. It's a wadded up 
and it can be recycled aluminum foil, and I break toothpicks, and I put the, the sharp end of the toothpicks into the wadded-up ball of aluminum foil, so it looks like a Sputnik when you hold it. It just feels creepy to hold. It's kind of very uncomfortable, and I'll say, this is what a lie looks like. Feel it. And so they hold it and feel it, and they go, ooh. And, and so... Then they understand. It's like being in a cartoon. It's 3D. It's out of their minds, and it's not for me. They understand when they lie, they're hurting themselves. There was a child I was doing this with, and he he um, wound up admitting that, that he had eaten some chocolate pudding when uh, he had said he hadn't because it was all over his face, and he didn't know that. <laughs> and so I encouraged him to feel the lie, to look at it, and when he did, he immediately looked at me and said, that's what I did. You know, I lied to my mom the other day because she made some quiche, and she asked me to taste it, and if I liked it, and I said yes, and then I went to the bathroom and I spit it out in the toilet, but I never told her. (laughs) So he got it. He knew he had been lying. He understood the concept, and all it was, he had to see and feel what that concept was in in a true 3D reality. Isn't that fun? This is oh, yes. so special. I've, I've never seen that done. That's really a great concept. It's because, it's because I created it, and, and I do it with the children that I work with. And, um, you know, on my, I, my website, there's a... Uh, there's a free video that people can watch, and, and it's for children. And it has a lot of this 3D stuff to teach them basic skills. It's called Rainbow Magic. And, um, you know, I'm really happy to offer that for people just to have their children watch it. And they'll start understanding some things about what's going on inside their own bodies and their minds. And, you know, one of the basic concepts that so many know about now is that our thoughts are very, very powerful. And so one of the things that I will say is, you know, I, I am what I think. I create my own reality. And that gets that gets all ages to, you know, to start really thinking about, what am I thinking? Oh, I was the one that was causing that bad feeling inside me because of what I was thinking. We have choices. And that's one of the things that really empowers children is to learn these skills and understand no matter what's going on in the world around them, they have a choice of what they do inside themselves. They can't control something they don't like or what somebody does or says to them, but they can take a deep breath or they can think a positive thought about themselves. You know, tonight this is really... You know what? It, it's I'm almost speechless hearing you speak about this. It is just so uplifting to know that someone has created ways to share with children so creatively that you know your your books. Um, the by the way, uh, to our listeners, Tanai has offered to our listeners. Um, Two books. One book is Grandma Boone's Chronicles, More Alive at 65, and that's where she talks about the snake and the wild cat and more and more information, her memoirs. And the other book is Super Kid Power Guidebook. And um, at, at just to let you know, we'll tell you one more time toward the end of the show, but if you email us at info at com, the first one that comes in, um, you have to ask for either one or the other book. But, um, you know, and put your address on that uh, email to us, and we will be happy to mail that book out to you. Um, and we want, to make, so, we want to make sure that the second book, the Super Kid Power Guidebook, should go to someone who has children or is a teacher that works with children that's an ideal book so well Janai you are so your energy is so positive and so infectious (laughs) (laughs) you know it's it's living every moment that you are breathing I mean it's just so beautiful oh thank you so much for sharing that do Do I work with what Teachers? Yes, I do. I do. Um, I I work with everybody. 
I do. Um, I can do in-service trainings for teachers. I work with parents. Uh, I was hired for a week in Peru to teach uh, the staff at an international school. Wound up teaching the parents. This word spread because I was doing something every evening for them. Um, in, in addition to working with the teachers during the day and the students during the day in different classrooms. And word spread, and people came from other schools. They just kind of came and, like, sat in on, on everything. It was really, really fun to have that happen. Um, so I love teaching adults how to teach these things to children. And the, one of the really, really cool things is that People always wind up saying, like when I teach at the University of Oregon or at Southern Oregon University, the students will say, I didn't know I was going to get so much for my own life out of this. I wish I had received these skills when I was little. Because, see, when we're, when we're young, um, young meaning like the preschool age, we're really establishing our survival tools then, how we manage ourselves in stress. And so we do what we try to figure out to do, what we learn from others that we're around, or we just try to figure out things on our own, some of them not so healthy. I had some trauma happen to me when I was 10, and I pulled out all my eyelashes just wanting to count them. You know, I got a lot of infections from that. So, you know, that that wasn't such a good choice, but I didn't know any stress management skills. We didn't have them back then. So I'm always so excited to help teachers, parents, administrators, um, just anybody that wants to, students who are going to be working with children or have their own children. I love teaching. It's just so enlivening, and I always learn so much, too, from what's going on in their lives and help them figure out new formulas for what what can happen in healthy ways. So, yes, to answer your question, Paula. (laughs) (laughs) Well, did you start out with the, you know, you have a degree in family and child development, but is this where all of this started to manifest, you know, all your um, creativity and and working with children and parents? I mean, did that start from your uh, your work with the family? It was the second would... stage, I believe. I I um I was I've always been very creative, and I think part of that is that you know we use we can use things very positively from something that's been difficult. And I have a lot of, I had a lot of difficulties as well as wonderful things also in childhood. But I used play and creativity to really um, sometimes escape what was going on in my life. And that stayed with me. It was a golden thread. So when I got my bachelor's and my master's in family and child development at Kansas State University a long time ago, uh, I, um, I saw that what was happening with the theories was so left hemisphere. It was so cognitive and very good intentioned with all the theorists. But I thought, something is missing here. So I took it upon myself to learn about relaxation skills, biofeedback training, um, guided imagery. And then I started using little visual aids to to work with uh, children and teens and, and adults, families. And I found that they took to this so quickly the learning curve accelerated tremendously because they could grasp it. It was real. And so that started me off, and then when I did my first television series uh, with cable television in Manhattan, Kansas, I didn't have a budget. I wasn't paid. I didn't have a budget. I put 400 hours into creating 12 half-hour shows. And I went around the house, and I found all kinds of things from my own children, their toys or you know, paper towel holders or whatever. And I created lessons with these things so that it would be enlivening since it was such a no-budget kind of production. And from there, it's just gone sky high. I have so many things that I do. I could use a warehouse to store all my visual aids and, and the lessons that I have created with 3D learning. And the thing is, when you have fun doing this, the children or whoever they're not only having fun, they're building confidence in what they're doing at the same time because they're open. When you're having fun, you have an openness to you. You retain, you absorb, you you can integrate that into your life, and you complete the learning cycle much more quickly. Now, did you invent 3D uh, learning, or did it come yes, from? Yes, I did. Yes. 
I wow. couldn't learn that yes. from from anyone. All my my lessons and things I created myself from sometimes from you know just junk around the house or whatever. Um, so it's easy to do. You can just grab something and create a lesson, and um, and children will respond to it. It's entertaining for them. And see, this is one of the things that I think is uh, maybe a key to help children um, t- to be more excited about what's happening in their real environment, and that it's not just electronics that's exciting, uh, because they'll relate in a different way. When we get out of our heads, our culture is top heavy. We are in our heads so much with the way we think, all the media information that's coming through, what we're trying to process, and then with the electronics. We're leaving our bodies and our body awareness behind. That's where I come in with 3D learning because I not only use the visual aid, but I also, with any concept, any emotion, and this gets into emotional intelligence, I ask, where do you feel that in your body? Like right now, um, Taz, I could ask you right now as I'm talking, where do you feel a sensation in your body as I'm talking? Uh, it's in my chest. It's in your in your where? In my chest. My, in your chest? Okay, yeah. it's in your chest. That's the heart area. Yeah. Okay, so see, if I wouldn't have said that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have paid attention if you were a child where you were feeling something. I'm getting them grounded in their bodies. And a lot of times children will say, um, like if I ask, you're, you're mad about something right now. Where do you feel it in your body? And they may say, everywhere. Well, yeah, it, everything's connected in there, of course. <laughs> but what we do is, Um, We lose track of where it starts. That's the key. When we don't know where it starts, we don't have the awareness and the choice that we can do something with that anger right then in terms of releasing it healthily. When we're not aware, it spreads throughout the body, and then it takes hold, and we do things that we regret later that aren't good choices. Does that all make sense the way I explained it? Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. You're talking about yeah. consciousness being really a consciously <clears throat> acknowledging within yourself where things are and being grounded, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> it's it you know what it is? It goes back to the basics that we we're not teaching children. It's the mind, the body, the emotions inside us that are always connected. If I think sad, and and listeners can do this right now, think something sad. Just recall something that felt sad to you. And notice what your thoughts are like. Notice what happens to your breathing process when you're thinking sad thoughts. Now, Notice where you feel it in your body, the first place you feel the sadness in your body. That's where it starts. Now, think of something happy, something that really made you laugh or smile recently, and you just, you know, you had a heart smile and a face smile, and notice where you feel that inside your body and what your thoughts are like. And how your breathing changes. Oh, that's clever. Isn't that fun? And look, look what you just did. Talk about empowering children or empowering ourselves. A lot of times we get in an emotional rut and we just can't seem to get out of that mood or that feeling and those thoughts are just going over and over and over and it grinds into us. Well, (laughs) what you just did, you went from sad to happy. You changed. You decided you wanted to change, but you were using your body to do it and your mind. So when my computer acts up, I'll just be happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) I I don't know how your computer will respond, but what I try to do, you know, when I've been having, my computer's been freezing up a bunch, and so... I'm using the freezing up part to remind me to take a deep breath because I can't make it unfreeze. I mean, no matter what I think or say or do, it's not going to unfreeze until it's ready. And so I use that as an opportunity to help myself 
feel more relaxed inside because I start to feel frustrated, especially if I'm working on something. I'm really busy right now. And so I thought, okay, I can't control what's outside me, but I can control what's inside me. It doesn't mean I didn't feel frustrated, but I released it, and I feel more calm. I wait for it to unfreeze, and then I call a tech person or whatever, you know, (laughs) that I have to do. Um, Or wave your magic wand. You know what? I think I need a little bit better batteries for the magic wand to help that freezing on the computer test. (laughs) Oh, and you know, that's one of the things that, that I think is important to mention here is that I keep finding formulas. I create formulas for myself and formulas to help others help themselves. And I've, I've got a formula that I'm, I've been creating for my aging process since I'm 65 and I'm more alive at 65. Uh, my formulas help me. One of my things is that every year I get to, now watch how I say this. It's not I have to. I get to have more fun adventures than the year before. So when it comes time for my birthday, I'm looking forward to it because I'm making my list. This is what I am going to do this next year. And some of it's simple stuff, you know, but but it just helps me to look forward to that aging rather than, oh, no, another year under my belt. And, you know, I don't want to feel like that. I'm alive, and I want to feel alive. One of my things also in my formula is that I wear a wig. And people are always complimenting on my hair. They'll just say, oh, that's such great hair. And and I'll say, thank you, it's the hair I always wanted. I just had to buy it because nature didn't kick in. (laughs) 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 And, you know, it's more fun. And I really don't care what anybody thinks. I'm having fun. It's easier. And it's one of my keys in my formula that it's fun to put on every day. That's why I like dress-ups and I like costumes because I am different characters. I am not one boring, monotone person. I don't want to be that, so I make the choice. And I have to choose many other things. I had bunion surgery just in July. And um, so I wanted to feel good going into bunion surgery. It was uh, really chilly that morning. It was 54 degrees in Ashland. I went out to Emigrant Lake. I had arranged with the stand-up paddleboard company that they would be out there at 9 o'clock in the morning because my surgery was at 1. It was raining. It was chilly. I paddleboarded alone on the lake. Nobody else was out because it wasn't that kind of a morning. And I was so happy. And I was singing my freedom song, and my hands were blanched because it was so cold and I didn't care. (laughs) So when I arrived at the surgery center for my surgery, you know, I I went into the surgery center, and and they were very kind. You know, how are you doing? You know, because it's like major surgery, screws in my toe and, you know, fusing the joint and all that. And so I said, I'm doing great. I'm excited for this surgery because I'm going to wear boots this winter. I don't have to wear sandals because I have a big bunion anymore. And then, you know, they were just a little bit shocked. But but they enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it because I went into surgery happy. I went into surgery happy. I couldn't have done it any better. That's, the, that's, that's best, yes. <laughs> yeah, <'cause laughs> all you do oh, if you're good. worried or if you're if you're worried or in fear, you just make your whole body tense up. So yes, I would imagine that when, that. Well, when you tense up, you actually create more pain for yourself. If you get hurt, like um, if let's say a child has fallen down and has gotten scraped their knee and it's bloody and stuff, and I go over and go, "Oh no, what happened? Oh, you're bleeding!" They're going to pick up that tension. Their knee is going to hurt worse because they're getting more tense. But if I go over and I say, um, oh, you fell down, let's take a slow, deep breath together. Even if they don't do that, I'll do it in an exaggerated way, like, ah, ah. now let's look at your knee. Looks like it's going to be okay. We can get a washcloth. I'm handling it in a whole different way. So they won't become more tense. When I'm tense, my my pain level will will increase. In fact, there's a really neat thing you can do right now. If listeners and, and Taz and Paula, you all join in and do this, take your hand and put it on your neck, on your juggler vein. Your juggler vein is always very warm. If your hand is cool or cold, it means that you have a level of tension in your body. 
If your hand is warm, it means that you are more calm and relaxed. And this is a way you can test yourself if you're in a traffic jam or a meeting or even now when we're doing this interview. You can put your hand on your throat and you can check that stress level to see if you need to do some slow, deep breaths, if your hands need to get warmer. You can manage that for yourself. It's one of my, I have a lot of things in my formula for aging, and this is one of them, that I I test myself. That's pretty great. You know, and also, you have an area where you have a secret to doing pain control. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, yes, I would like to talk about it. I really enjoy doing pain control uh, with, I've had several root canals done I within the last two years. I wasn't born with great teeth. I've had to have three teeth pulled and implants put into my jaw. I do all of that without any meds, before, during, or after. And what I do, uh, and I've done, I've done a bunion surgery uh, with no meds. I've done, I requested no meds for a cesarean section. My second child, uh, when my second child was born uh, 33 years ago, actually, and uh, the surgeon at that time um, understood, since I could do root canals, that I had some kind of, of skill. And so he said, "Well, he said for myself, he said I'm I'm going to." I'm going to allow you to do this, but I need to give you 10 cc's of my medical concoction into your abdomen. Normally, I start with 55 cc's, but I'm going to just do 10. Then if we need more as we go along, I'll do more, and that's my compromise. And so I was disappointed that I had to have any because I felt everything. I was vibrating at the cellular level and very aware, but I was able to also sit up in the middle of the surgery when they pulled my son out and say, I love you. And what I found was I healed a lot faster without the anesthetic, and I created so many endorphins. I was just high from the endorphins, and I just was very, very happy. So that was a motivating factor for me. And since then, I really love the high that I get from the mind-body control and doing this. And one of the, my you said secrets, I don't know, you know how much it's a secret, because I share with anybody who asks, but... When they're pulling my tooth out, and there was abscess in one, so it took a long time. It was complicated. And I was in a chair at one point for two and a half hours. So um, what I'm doing is not only deep breathing and relaxing my body, being in control of myself, I have used my willpower, and I have said I'm doing this no matter what. I'm going to accomplish this. And so I plug into what I call a gear with my willpower, and nothing's going to get in the way. And that's how I did healing on my leg that got broken, too, um, that I could talk about another time. But but anyway, with the tooth, I go into, after I use my willpower, I'm doing my breathing, I'm staying relaxed. I then go into a state of gratitude, thanking, silently thanking the tooth for its 60-some years of service in helping me to get fuel and and to be a part of my presence, a part of my body, and that I really honor and respect it. So I respect it as its own little spirit, its own little character, its own persona. And I feel wonderful because I'm in a state of gratitude when they're pulling it out and digging around and doing whatever they're doing. That means my heart is open. That means I am not tense and the energy is flowing and I actually feel good. I am happy doing this. You must have been an Aborigines. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. I'm kind of prone to like, I like fairies a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, what I think you also do is the person who's working on you, with your presence like that, they're not tense and they're more calm because I well you know what my dentist said he said the first time that I was doing this was with a root canal and he was actually nervous because he didn't want to make me hurt and so he was nervous at first until we were going through the process and he saw that I was just totally relaxed and totally into it so every time after that, that he's had to do something, he's had to do a bunch of things, let me tell you. So he's gotten practice, and he's so good at it now that he actually, in fact, this week he had one of his 
clients call me for a consultation to um, to teach her about how to do pain control because she wanted to learn to do what I was doing. Wow. And so, um, yeah, and in fact, his instructor that taught him how to do implants that has a pain uh, pain control institute or something like that on the East Coast was there teaching, was, came to Eugene, Oregon, and was teaching m- my dentist about implants and wound up watching the process with me and taking pictures and did a video of me after I was done because he had taken pictures during the whole thing. He now uses that video of me talking about how I did pain control in all the classes he teaches to dentists who want to learn how to do uh, implants on the East and West Coast. So... <laughs> I, and I just got up out of the chair. I've been in it for a couple hours, you know, and the glasses were on me, probably dented in my cheeks. And, and I'm, I'm being interviewed. It's like, I'm sure I look terrible, but I was really grateful and I was happy. I was. I get high when I do this stuff because of the endorphins I create. You it's know, a it's natural high. When I was, uh, you know, 9 through uh, 14, um I never, and I had all kinds of dental work done. I refused to have any uh, anesthetization. And, oh, wow. Uh, me too. Yeah, uh, I, I was I that way. Well. you guys. Yeah. I don't know what the thing is. Uh, now I do have it. Um, but, you know, I often would, you know, I just hated needles so much. I said, you know what, I can do without it. And uh, it was just willpower. It was, you know, and breathing and you know, I did some gripping on the chair arms. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you did it. You did it your yeah. way. Yeah. That's great. I'm happy to know that you all did that, too. I just, I think it's a, a wonderful gift we give ourselves. See, that's human potential. You're tapping into more human potential, not only with your willpower, but with your thoughts and actions. You did it. And Sounds that's fantastic. Funny. Wow. Uh, let's see. You saved your sister's life when you were 10 years old. Can yes, share I that did. With us? Uh, thank you for asking about that. I would love to share that, Taz and Paula. I was in the back of the station wagon. Dad was driving, and it was a station wagon where you could put the seats down. And, you know, back then we didn't have any seat belts. And my little sister at that time, her name's Karen, she was four. And she was in the front seat, in the co-pilot seat, standing up. Well, we're just riding along. It's at night. And and all of a sudden, I see in my mind's eye, I see a picture. And I hear a voice with interlocution. It wasn't outside my body. It was inner. But it was so profound, I knew there was something to this, and it was serious. The voice said, there's going to be a car accident. Get Karen to come back here with you right away and lay down like this. And they showed me a picture of how I should get her. And so I, I was always taking care of her, and so um, I called to her and told her to come back. She came back right away. I got her to lay down exactly like they showed me, and I'm, I'm guessing it couldn't have been more than 60 seconds after that. We were in a car accident where two dra- what we called dragsters at the time – uh, were coming um, from the opposing direction towards us in the other lane. The one on the far swerved so that the one closest to our lane swerved point blank in front of our car. Dad did not have time to even put on the brakes. Karen would have flown through the windshield and probably died. I was the only one that was hurt. My mouth was cut up some. I was holding on to her pretty good. And uh, I didn't even have to have stitches. It was just bleeding. And I was happy. I was the one that, you know, got that. My dad had sore ribs and he had a whiplash because he went into the steering wheel. He braced himself good enough, I guess. You know, he didn't – no, nothing broke in him, but he he was pretty sore for a while. But, you know, that really opened me up to uh, – even though I had had many extraordinary experiences as a child that – people would call metaphysical or out of the realm of ordinary. I think it's ordinary because I just think it's human potential. But that really opened me up to the fact that we are not alone and there is much more to life than just this physical dimension. And I was so grateful 
that my sister's life was saved, and I'm also so grateful that I was receptive and I listened. I listened. Did your dad ask you why? Did he ever ask why you plucked the sister from the front? No, because I was always taking care of the younger kids. I, you know, and I just I was always taking care of them in, in many different ways. And and so what I did was he never asked that. But I did tell Mom and Dad what happened, that I saw the picture and that a voice talked to me and told me to get Karen back there so she would be safe. And, you know, they didn't they didn't know what to say, and so they turned around and just walked away. They never said anything because I think they didn't know what to say. They were perplexed. You know, that's not a normal thing for a child to tell parents. And yeah. everybody wants their child to be normal like everybody else. Meanwhile, we're keeping everybody kind of fenced in this <laughs> field, <laughs> you know, instead of encouraging these things that are actually, or I think they're ordinary human potential uh, opportunities. Now, do you, to this day, do you ask, I mean, when you're kind of like stuck for an idea or stuck for creativity or anything do you ask to um for help and do you oh, hear oh i ask so much i think that there's probably just a like an open door or something with my <laughs> i ask for guidance whenever i need it and i'll give a quick example when i work with others i get a lot of guidance um very quickly and um sometimes more quickly than for myself i you know sometimes yeah, that's really, just the way yeah. it works i know but but still so i was asked to work with a a third grader who was suicidal at a school and I was in in an office in a, a therapy office uh, at the time and he wasn't my client but they were desperate and so they brought him in and shut the door here's this child who just tried to commit suicide he's mad he's so disenfranchised and he doesn't want to be in there with me and so I ask now this process is extremely fast I ask for guidance like I do it so fast, it's faster than words. I just have a feeling when I'm asking. Here's the thing. When I ask for the guidance, I have to listen and do it. Otherwise, I always regret it. No matter what it is, I have to trust it. And I know the feeling. There's a feeling that comes when it's the guidance, even if it seems crazy. Here's the message I got. Very quickly, I'm asking, and the suicidal boy is standing there in front of me. And here's the answer I get. Ask him if he would like to have a belching contest. (laughs) Now, part of me is just going, say what? Are you kidding me? You're pulling my leg this time. But I didn't have time to do all that. And I knew I needed to listen. And this was a very serious situation. So I just did it. I looked at him and I said, I bet you're tired of all this heavy, serious stuff. Why don't we have some fun? Would you like to do a belching contest with me? See all those prizes over there on my shelves? Of course, you know by this time, Paul and Taz, I have prizes and costumes in my offices when I do therapy stuff. (laughs) So anyway, he looks over there and he goes, yeah. I said, whoever wins the belching contest gets to pick out a prize. Well, he took me on. Well, I had to, in those days, I could really muster up some pretty good belches, and I could even, like, say a little sentence or my name with belches. And so I was trying to work that up, that gas up, and he started right away. And so he'd do one, and then I'd do one, and then then I'd do one, and he'd do one. And we did, like, ten different rounds, and we we decided that whoever did the, the really most fantastic belches after the ten rounds won. And he won fair and square because I was working, I was really working the belches. And he went over and picked out a prize on his way back. Now, keep in mind, he was releasing tension when we were doing this. He was having fun, but he was also releasing physical stuff. So when he came back with that prize, he sat down and he started talking to me. And he shared that his parents said they had been um, people who invested in a lot of drugs and no longer could take care of him. His grandpa was was raising him. His grandpa was sick. His grandpa had guns in the house, and his grandpa had decided that he didn't want to live anymore because he was so sick. So he was going to kill himself and told this child about that. So this boy decided he wanted to die first because he didn't want to be without anybody to raise him. 
wow. now that's that's a powerful example of following guidance immediately, really listening and um, not questioning because that would be an easy one to question. I'm telling you, but it worked. Look how it worked. And meanwhile, authorities were able to go and and take care of getting the guns and and all that sort of thing. And the boy and the grandfather wound up living together. Um, it, actually, the grandfather got better after that. So. So anyway, it's a very happy ending to a, a traumatic story. Well, I was going to say um, when at the beginning of the interview, I was going to ask if you had worked with foster children because uh, they really need, you know, uplifting and you know they yes. move from one family to another family. And so, have you ever worked with foster children? Yes, I have worked with foster children. I work with homeless children. I've worked with uh, foster teens, foster parents, the whole foster uh, p- program. And it's things are really needed. There are more foster children now than ever, and they, they need more homes. So many children are being taken out of homes. And it's it's sad, but yes. And sometimes there are a lot of challenges in doing that. But I work with 3D. I work with my drums. We drum our anger out, and uh, I have a crystal bowl, and and we do visualization with the calm center and the rainbow coming from the crystal bowl that makes a magical sound. And um, I get them involved in costumes, and they act things out. I have so many stories that you know we could go on for probably days. <laughs> But, you know, I'm not just talking and I'm not just listening. I listen to them, but I follow their lead and I give them skills where they can help themselves no matter what is going on in their lives, no matter where they live, and no matter what anybody else says or does to them. They always have something. They have treasures inside them. It's their mind, their body, their emotions, their willpower, their breath. These are all treasures that we can use, and they're all, they can be skill-based. Now, your book, The Super Kid Power Guidebook, that we're going to be giving a copy away, are there uh, some tools in that book? Oh, there's so many tools. It's just I love that book because it's taken me 40 years to really put the whole thing together and rewrite it several times. 52 concepts. Each concept, like if it's on jealousy or sadness or anger or stress or calm center, no matter what it is, there's all these activities you can do on that topic. And then there are body outlines where the child can mark or color where they feel that concept inside their bodies. And there, then there are techniques for reinforcement and, lear- and the learning cycle being complete. It's really easy to use. It is, I'm telling you, it's nothing short of a box of gold. If you really want your child to have a, a good, solid grounding and consciousness with higher values and know how to tap the resources in their inner world, I can't say enough good things about it. And it's all tested out over these decades. So anybody that wants a copy, we're going to give one copy away to the first person that emails us at info at tazandpolishow.com. And we're going to be giving away also Grandma Boone. Yes, more alive at 65. (laughs) Uh, Yes. You know what? You are are so brilliant Uh, and igniting people with a love that never – that's never forgotten, I'm sure. Um, We are so blessed to have you with us today. And um, thank you. I mean, there's no words to express our gratitude. Oh, thank you. And there's no words to express my gratitude to help my voice to be out there, to touch others from my heart and the spirit of who I am. I I really send a beautiful, brilliant radiance, um, and I hope it touches you with joy in some way. And thank you so much for your time and energy, uh, Taz and Paula and all the listeners, because you've entrusted us with your precious time and energy, your life energy today, and I hope that it's been worthwhile. Thank you so much. Janai Mestrovich, wait, wait, Janai Mestrovich uh, is your name, and your website is grandmaboom.com. That's grandma That's what I was boom. just say. <laughs> B- yes, grandma boom. Yes, grandma boom, like B-O-O-M, like in the drums. <laughs> and there's and some things on that website. It's really special, so uh, everyone's, you know, check it out. 
Oh, oh thank you, yes, for mentioning that. There's interviews on people who are aging that are really fun interviews, and there's all kinds of blog things for all ages, and there's uh, articles I've written, and there's the free Rainbow Magic video for 15 minutes that you or your children can watch, and or grandchildren. Have fun. I'm, I'm, I was Miss Hospitality of Kansas in 1969, and I still wear that in my heart, so I hope that you have a good time as I host on my website. <laughs> um, Great. Well, thank you so much, Jenny, for being with us. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Blessings Thanks. to everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.